Good morning. Thank you, Irene, for reading the Word of God to us and those who led us in worship. Uh, and this is uh, part six in this series. Uh, it, is a, it does have an end to it. Uh, Seven-part series where on the theology of the body, we're trying to really look at the question, what, not what we are against, but what are we for? What is the great uh, Christian vision for human sexuality? And this has been an exploration for us in the beginning of a conversation for our community, which is very helpful for us. One of the dominant themes of this series is the body is not merely a biological, functional entity, but a spiritually and theological one, a deeply spiritual and theological one. And this is precisely the point of dispute that appears in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, The Corinthians have been uh, unduly influenced by Gnostic ideas, it actually had two manifestations uh, that come out later in Corinthians, actually, in our text this morning. But the one particularly this morning is one manifestation of it, which was to say, well, if the Christian position is that food, we're indifferent toward food, and all foods are now available to us, therefore the body must be uh, unimportant to Christians. Therefore, by extension, sexual activity or immoral sexual activity is also indifferent to Christians, and therefore this is a matter of indifference. And Paul uh, very soundly, of course, rebukes this point and says, no, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we are united to Christ and we would not unite our bodies to a prostitute. But also the other side of it was those who said, well, because the body's not important and we actually refrain from sexual activity and he later admonishes people within a marriage context that sexual, sexual contact is part of God's plan. So we see people responding differently But this really raises the question for today, and that is how the Christians regard the body. And this has been a theme throughout. And according to uh, the biblical vision, the Christian vision, when you meet someone and you speak to someone face-to-face, that is meant to be a form of mutual reciprocal gift one to another. So the, the Christian vision takes very seriously what it means for two people to meet one another and how we talk to each other. So this is not simply a question of marriage, but the whole of our relationships are framed by what does it mean for two embodied people who embody the, uh, the, the triune God and the, the, the vision, a sacramental presence of God in any kind of meeting whatsoever, including here we are today. Whenever the subjectivity of the body, that is we're both subject before God, become objects then we enter into a world of shame, which we've discussed quite a bit in this series. Instead, the body is to be rooted in God's uh, identity and what it means to be part of His creation. Now, when we enter into the world of media and art, then, of course, it really raises the question, how is the body portrayed and extended out into the world in a wide variety of ways? Now, to develop this, we have to first ask ourselves, what do we mean by the word media? Uh, the word media is plural for medium, and it just refers to all the ways in which we insert into the human meeting, face-to-face meeting that we're having right now, with a medium of some kind which changes that in some way. So if I'm speaking to like Irene face-to-face, we're talking to, like, we were just speaking together in the back here, we're talking face-to-face, that is a, there's no medium there, there's no media involved in that. Now, now that I'm speaking to you right now, I don't, I'm told not to touch this. I won't touch it because they say it makes a big noise. But this is a microphone, 
is extending my voice in some way. It may not be necessary. I think we could probably have this conversation without it. But we use a, a microphone. A microphone is a medium, right? It comes into the way. So this allows someone to speak to an audience of 50,000 people in the stadium where it wouldn't be possible to speak to the way I'm speaking to you now. But we still share the same space and time. So this is a very modest medium because we're, you're hearing me in real time. You can you know, basically feel like we're talking to each other face to face. Now what if you enter into a cell phone? My cell phone's actually on the bench there, but a cell phone uh, is a different kind of medium. A cell phone creates new possibilities. Uh, my voice can now be extended. I'm in Kentucky. I can talk to somebody in Kazakhstan. And we're talking in what we call real time. But uh, there, we don't share the same space anymore. Okay, that's, a, that's another extension of, of media. That's a, another media possibility that's now part of the modern world. You can pick up the phone and call somebody in China. Uh, that wasn't possible for much of the world's history, obviously. Okay, then when you add something like a YouTube video, I'm not picking on YouTube. It's my favorite search engine. Okay, whatever. Uh, I love YouTube. Uh, my daughter came home, uh, was trying to teach us how to make ugali. You know, this is the famous East African dish with cornmeal. And so I said to her, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm confused here. Let's just YouTube it. And she said, oh, they, they would not, you wouldn't find a YouTube on how to make ugali. I said, oh, Bethany. <laughs> I typed in how to make ugali, and we got like a 10 jillion hits. And I love these East African, like, I'm in New York. I'm here to tell you how to make ugali. You know, it was really great. I love it. <laughs> there are thousands of hits on how to make ugali. Just say, in case you're interested. But a YouTube video, which is a wonderful gift, but it does create, as in all like films, any kind of media like that, it, this is where we get into what we call mass media. You know, someone can put something out there which is now available, and you become an anonymous face, uh, and it's available to millions, and you're now you're separating not only the space, like a cell phone, you're separate by space, space and time, right? So now someone can watch you or watch the video anytime, in any space, even years after the fact, and millions of people who may never know who you are can watch this. This creates all kinds of new potential and even ethical implications for how the body is portrayed out into the world. Now, for five minutes, we're not going to say, create any narrative that we should therefore escape the world we live in. That is, not, that is never a Christian option. We have to learn to live Christianly in the world that we have. So the last thing we want to do is to start, I'm not saying about YouTube, like a thousand things like it, we're now going to boycott YouTube. That is totally wrong Christian response to these type things. The answer is not boycotting YouTube. The answer is to live Christianly in a world of YouTube. And that's, of course, the challenge that we're before us now. So if you think about bodily images portrayed, for example, on a provocative billboard. It's just out there on an interstate, a picture of a, a, a sexual type image on a billboard, for example, or a Super Bowl commercial. Okay, according to what I read, I found this by searching the web, I believe in the web. Um, what's the name of the, uh, the Cal's, Cal's Junior's Hamburger, which I know nothing about, by the way, I never had one, but Cal Junior's Hamburger spent $4.5 million for a 30-second ad of Kate Upton in order to sell hamburgers and french fries. Maybe you saw it on Super Bowl. 
Now, that says a lot about the power of this. There's no way that they would spend millions of dollars for a 30-second commercial. And this is like any, I'm not picking on, you know, Kate Upton or Cal's Hamburgers. It's any Super Bowl commercial. Selling cars, selling whatever. When you associate a person with an object, okay, by looking at this person, that's going to connect you to buy this object. That is an objectification of a person, right? Okay, this is the destructive force that's unleashed into the world. Now, there's no way that we live in a world where this can be kind of turned off. This is a reality of the world that we live in. We are inundated. Not, not saying any action on your part. You are inundated by virtue of just walking through this world with innumerable images which objectify people, especially women in our world. Now, one of the things that occasionally comes up in these type statements, if you say, particularly obviously when it comes to pornographic images on the web, or even some provocative images on television or you know, commercials or whatever, people will say, that's a dirty image or a dirty picture. Don't, tell, don't look at dirty pictures. This is where John Paul II reminds us, a helpful reminder, that we must assign evil to where it is. The, the Christian vision has never, ever been to say that a naked body is dirty. A da- naked body is not dirty. The, Medi- the Vatican Museum is full of uh, paintings of naked bodies and various you know, portrayals. But the number, number viewed as, uh, as lewd or at all. We'll explain why later on. The, what, is, what is wrong, where you assign the evil, is someone who takes a body which is holy before God and uses it to objectify it and use it for evil purposes. Now, those pictures are generally designed to create either lust, like if someone visits a pornographic site, as to create lust in you that rips a person from their wholeness. And by, by the way, it's a double ripping because the woman that's being viewed has been ripped from her wholeness as a woman in the image of God. Whether she did it voluntarily or not, doesn't matter. She is, she is being ripped from her wholeness by the, as, as an image bearer of God. And the person, they're being viewed apart from their wholeness, apart from who they are as a person. All right, it's also used to attract, attack to various products of various kinds. Any kind of product attachment is a form of, it's a form of idolatry, actually. It's a form of separating someone out from their wholeness. The evil is always in the separation and the fragmentation of the body. Now, the way this affects men and women, apparently, uh, it, statistics show is actually quite different. But it's important to say that it is not true to say that you know, these images always affect men in this category and women in that category. We're dealing with generalities here, okay? Both categories, and well, I'll show you a chart in a minute, affect both men and women, but there are clear differences and how men and women are affected by these kind of images that are in our world. The primary way that men are influenced is in the area of lust. And lust is a huge, ominous challenge in the way we view the body, and the way God intended us to view the body. So we had a whole week, remember we discussed the whole point of how Jesus talked about looking at someone's lust. And we even explored the idea of how even in marriage, this is possible with your spouse. Okay, this is a very, very dangerous uh, point because it's idolatry in the Bible, the veneration of a false image. So to view a pornographic website is to engage in idolatry. 
So there should not be in any sense in anyone's mind here, uh, not speaking to everyone, but particularly the male members, that this is a benign activity. This is not a benign activity. This is a destructive force that you must take hold of through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It can destroy marriages. It can destroy ministries. If a, a, a man forcibly sees a woman and assaults her and, and rapes her, we call that rape. It's a capital crime. If it's done on a billboard or a website, we call that advertisement or a glamour. See, but it's the same basic function because it's ripping someone from their wholeness. Now, we often have uh, expressions about we use for people related to temperatures. If someone says, for example, that someone is a warm person, that's a good thing. Uh, we, so we have a warm personality. So, so hey, he's cool. That's, these are relatively benign statements. We, we, have, we refer to people as cold, cruel, warm. You also use the word hot. Now, to my experience, at least, and I'm, I'm the only one person speaking, but my experience, whenever a male uses the word hot to refer to a female, it is a destructive word. This is not, and I don't, I don't I've heard anyone's going to say this, but I'm just saying, if you hear your children, one of your young, because it now is on the movies and everything, small children say these words, or you yourself want to say these words, you should know that we do not condone it. It is wrong. I'm the pastor of the community. It's wrong. We won't allow it anymore. <laughs> no woman here is to be called hot. Okay. It's assault on their dignity. Okay. Now let's go to the female side. The female side uh, is actually very, very different. Often, this, these same images create a counterforce of self-hatred or self-loathing. And it starts very, very early uh, when women are exposed to these images all from their life. They're being barrage with these images all through there. And oftentimes, we never think about the implications this has for the females in our community. A survey was conducted recently with a number of young teenage women and they were asked if they could change one thing about themselves, what would they change? Now they didn't actually, the survey didn't say what all the responses were. I was hoping one of them would say, you know, like Solomon, make me wiser. But I don't know, maybe somebody did say that. But I do know from those results that 42% of them uh, said their number one goal they wanted to, was to lose weight. They did a survey even of six to ten-year-olds. Four out of five said that they wished they were thinner and they, they, were, they were afraid of growing up fat. Their biggest fear of growing up would be fat. By high school, a full 10% of women have eating disorders. Put that in context, America right now, there's five million have uh, Alzheimer's and 30 million have eating disorders. I'll look at this uh, study here done. This is study, it's hard to see the numbers here, but the, the blue squares all across here represent males. So it's not that eating disorders are absent from males. This there is statistically significant. But look at the difference between with women, which is the green bar, especially when you get into the teenage years. This is 15 to 19. Look at that. Or that means that our society has created certain messages 
that between the ages of 15 and 19, our young women are extraordinarily vulnerable. And they're being told, it happens in various ways. If you're a very, very small child, you look at a, a uh, you know, you go through a mag- you're going through the line, like at a grocery store, and you see a Cosmopolitan magazine. You see a, a uh, I'm trying to think of other names of these magazines, but you know, like Glamour magazine, whatever. Those magazines uh, tell that person, you should look like that. If you get a little older, you think, if I looked like that, I would be desirable. Okay, these are very, very destructive forces that our society has unleashed on us without any theological commentary or reflection at all, of course. They're trying to sell things. But your generation, the Christians, must be able to pastor people in this context. And the answer is not, don't go to the grocery store. <laughs> the answer is, we have to create a positive vision about what the body means in the world. We have to, to counteract this. Now, this, by the way, this graph here shows, this includes everything from anorexia to bulimia to binge eating. It's a whole range of things, which I don't have time to go into the details of the subcategories of all of this. But it's pretty staggering and pretty, it shows us there's a lot of self-loathing going on about our bodies. Now, this is a simple example of this. What is that? Barbie. Uh, Barbie dolls, okay? I never had a Barbie doll, I admit. But I know what a Barbie doll is, you know? And children are given these things at a very young age. Now, the Barbie doll is, I mean, this is almost like a a ridiculous example, but it's a huge example in the sense that it's symptomatic of a whole range of things. By the way, I'm I'm all for, you know, like playing with dolls and making playhouses. These are wonderful things. Your children should do all these things. Giving your doll, giving a doll to your child is a great thing. Okay, this is not anti-doll. I'm not anti-doll, I'm not anti-YouTube, I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro, I'm pro the gospel. Okay? But uh, don't give your child this. All right? Things like this, because this creates a message. They've interviewed children about, after playing with these dolls, and they have self-loathing. Look, for example, at this particular, uh, one of the accessory kits. Accessory kits, uh, how to lose weight. The only page in the whole book, when you open a little felt book, was don't eat. And they had scales that come with the accessory kit set permanently at 110. Okay, the average American woman is 5'4 and weighs between 124 and 138. The average model is 5'10 and weighs 110 pounds. So this is saying, this is what this is communicating is that if you're going to be happy and people are going to love you, you must conform to that. And there have been people who have shown that the Barbie is actually anatomically impossible. Her head cannot even sustain, her neck can't sustain her head because of her neck's like, her neck's like that big around or whatever. Okay, so we have to counteract this with the proper gospel teaching. You cannot assume that the culture is not committed to very profound catechesis. I mean, it's an anti-catechesis, do you understand? But what I'm saying is there is a huge teaching going on day and night, and you have to counter. You can't just say, well, our kids are going to grow up fine. They won't grow up fine unless we teach them. We ourselves have to reteach ourselves. The tapes in your own head are playing. You have to, part of inner healing is to retape your own inner tapes about your own self and who you are. Because the gospel looks at everybody in this room and says, you are beautiful to God. 
because their body is beautiful. By, name, by virtue of it being an image bearer, it is beautiful to God. Now, Shivaraj Mahindra is here, one of our Indian students, and I want to show a book that he produced in India, um, a book on pornography, a Christian response to pornography. I want to say about this book, it's now gone through several publications, it's been a huge, uh, earth-shaking book in India. India was a kind of culture where you couldn't discuss these things. You could not have this sermon done in India or any of this series. It's not possible. It would not allow a conversation. So it's kind of like the famous statement you know, by the uh, President of Iran when asked about homosexuality. He said, oh, there are no homosexuals in Iran. You know, that's one of the answers. Is, oh, well, these things don't exist in the Christian community. You know, we don't have this problem. You know, oh, over there, they have that problem. Not in Asbury. All right, so what I found, this book was an invitation in India for the first time, in my knowledge, for Christians to actually talk about the fact we have problems with pornography, we have problems with self-loathing, we have eating disorders, we have all kinds of brokenness because we are members of this society. We've been bombarded. I have a lot of pity for it. We've been bombarded with images. And your generations, actually, I give your generation credit because you're the first generation that has actually pushed back and realized that half of what you get and see and hear is like all part of somebody's spending something. And your generation has been much better about pushing back on it. But we have to intentionally and forcibly push back on it. If we judge someone by the color of their skin, we call that separation of person from their body racism. If we judge someone by the shape of their body, we call it glamour. That's wrong. This is why the Western West vision is so important, because the Western vision says you cannot change these things. You cannot, you know, you, you have these struggles. We all have these struggles about ourselves and what do we think we're, and it works both ways, by the way. There, there's people in, in this room and all of us, I've never had this problem, but I look in my mirror, I don't say, oh, there's a real handsome man. But, you know, the people who look in the mirror and say, wow, I really am beautiful. That also happens. That's a whole other challenge. Because if you're in that situation, then you can actually trust in that yourself. So you can actually rip yourself out from your wholeness. So th this is a challenge for everybody. This is a challenge for everybody. The Bible is about incarnating us. The world wants to disincarnate you. And so we're trying to reincarnate the human being as a whole person. Because that's what the gospel does for us. So... The World Wesleyan vision is that we reorient our heart and the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you with the Holy Spirit will give you the power to rehear re what the gospel says about you. That's the power of the Wesleyan message. Now, I want to close by a more positive vision because if you go uh, and look around the world, you'll find that Christians were great at leading the way in showing how to portray the body in the world. This is the most famous icon. This is actually the oldest existing icon in the world. It's found in Sinai. And this is the famous uh, Pankotator Christ, the, the Christ the Victor, Christ the, 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 uh, the, the Almighty One. And if you look at it, if you look at the picture, first, I hold your hand up so you cover the left-hand side of Christ's face. I only see the right hand side of his face. See that? You look like Pentecostals. Your hand <laughs> If you look at the right of his face, you should see Christ in his judgment mode. You know, Christ is coming back to set things right. If you take away your hand and show only the left side of Christ's face, you should see Christ as a, in a compassionate mode. Christ is coming to serve the poor. 
Now, what the point being, this, these icons are not just like done in a heartbeat. These are icons well thought out to reveal the inner life of who Christ is. That's the power. See, it's not that the images are wrong. By the way, you know, the church occasionally got into the same thing, like you know, boycott YouTube, the, their version of the iconoclastic controversy. Let's destroy all the icons. That was not the answer. And the church twice voted in ecumenical councils not to do that because the icons were a re, an affirmation that Christians should be involved in art. So the, many of you need to be called into the world of art and media because we need more Christians in that world. Otherwise, all we'll have is what we have, is fragmented images that destroy people. Uh, this is the same, you know, the same one. See, the, it's amazing, the picture. This is, of course, the famous uh, picture of Christ, the full you know, three-dimensional picture of Christ looking over Rio de Janeiro. And this is a great image trying to reveal the Christ call to the world. So these are powerful use of images. Become, this has been named one of the you know, seven wonders of the modern world, this particular image here. So my point being is that this is not an area for Christians to retreat. We should be involved in every way. One of our graduates, Joe Castillo, 2002 MDiv, he was having a chat with one of our professors here one time, and he said, you know, I'm not sure I'm called into pastoral ministry, but my passion is for art. And this man has been using, and the professor wisely said, well, use your art for Jesus. And he has been all over the world using sand art, doing portrayals of Christ. You may have seen him. He went all the way up to the uh, uh, America's Got Talent and, got, and became second place in the America's Got Talent. And it went, it's my favorite was when he picked, did, did a beautiful sand art of the face of Jesus on national television. And Howard Stern said, it looks like Jesus. Wasn't that a powerful moment? And Howard Stern said it's an accusation. And he said, well, I believe that you'll see what you need to see. I thought it was a great answer. You'll see what you need to see. <laughs> Joe Costello, Asbury graduate, on the national stage. <laughs> so all that to say is that this is an area where we have a lot of unfinished work to do. And I've said all along, well, this is, there's no easy fix. It'd be a big mistake. Well, we have to come up with five clever answers against homosexuality. That is not our project. We don't need five clever answers against something. We need a thousand reasons why we are who we are as people of God. We need to portray the positive vision. That's a multi-generational work. It will not happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in your lifetime, but we have to plant the seeds, plant the seeds, and it will happen. Because Paul said to us, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That is just the opposite of what the world is doing. And we are going to show them we have a goal as the people of God. Our goal is nothing less than the reversal of the disincarnation of man and the reincarnation, the reintegration of the whole person. And only the Christian vision can do it. May that be our heart goal in these days and years ahead. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, and we thank you that you have called us not, as you said in this high priestly prayer, not to leave the world, but to infuse the world with your holiness. 
Or it can be so intimidating. We, how can we compete with millions and millions of dollars of advertisements and all of these products and all of this just despicable things that happen in our own, our own hearts, which are so filled with all kinds of evil. We acknowledge all of that. We know that greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. We thank you for the power of the gospel. And we pray you would help us to be your people in this day and help us, O oh God, to incorporate your body, even today, into our bodies as we take your sacrament in Jesus' name.